Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's our hope and prayer that you will experience God's blessing in your life through our ministry. At Three Strands Church, our goal is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. Anyhow, that had nothing to do with the sermon today, but I just wanted to wrap up by giving away some presents, right? Because that's what the series is all about. We're getting some presents from the Lord, presents that aren't exactly what we want, but are exactly what we need. We covered love and hope the first two weeks, and they're not always what you're looking for or what you're expecting uh, in a Christmas gift, but they are what you need, what you need the most. And so today we're going to tackle the third one, and uh, maybe the most important one, but the third one for sure. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to see it in God's Word, and you'll be able to take it out of here, and it'll make your life better and change something about you and give you some greater success from day to day. So I want to start today asking you a question. Uh, Have you ever gotten a gift, maybe at Christmas, maybe just some other time, that you didn't really want, you weren't expecting, um, you weren't thinking about? In fact, you didn't think you need it, but the person that gave it to you thought you really needed it. So maybe everybody's experienced that if you're old enough to, you know, to have experienced enough gift reception. But you get those gifts, socks and underwear, just like that. They're not really gifts you're looking for, gifts you want, gifts you're expecting. But they are gifts you need. You don't necessarily appreciate it until you need them, right? So I, I got a gift in my life like that. He probably doesn't even remember, but my dad's here today, right? So when I was a teenager... That was a long time ago, all right? When I was a teenager, even into when I was in college, my dad used to get me a gift every year. It wasn't really for Christmas, just a gift every year. I don't know if he remembers this or not, but he used to always buy me a AAA membership. Anybody have a AAA membership? Anybody have one of those? Yeah, nobody, nobody hardly gets those now, right? Yeah, okay, because like most people's car insurance like covers a lot of that stuff now, but back in the day, there was no cell phones, and a lot of insurances didn't cover, like if you ran out of gas or locked your keys in your car or got a flat tire. Or all this. So a lot of people got AAA memberships. And they were like a little credit card looking thing you'd get. you keep it in your wallet or your purse. And if you broke down on the side of the road, you could call the 800 number on the back and they'd send like rescue. They'd send somebody out to rescue you, right? Tow you to a mechanic or to get you into your car if you locked yourself out or bring you some gas. They'd like come with like a five-gallon jug of gas and fill up your car with some gas. So... Um, and so he used to buy that for me every day, and I didn't, or every year, and I didn't want it. I didn't want it, you know, because when you're a teenager, you're like, I don't, just give me the money. I'm thinking, just give me the money. I don't need this AAA membership, you know. Like, I, I mean, I'm not an idiot. I won't run out of gas, and I won't lock my keys in my car, and, you know. And, and you don't appreciate it, right? And I don't even remember how much it costs, but it costs some money. I don't know what they were, 50, 60 bucks a year. I don't remember what it was. But I didn't appreciate it, you know, until... I needed it, right? And you're three or four hours away from home, driving with your buddies because you think that's cool when you're like 19, and, you know, 18, 19. You're like, I'm just out taking my girlfriend to Cincinnati for the day or something like that. And then you get there and you run out of gas or you get a flat tire on the side of the road and it's storming outside. And you're like, oh, what am I going to do? And then you open up your wallet and you're like, oh, I remember Pops gave me the AAA card. All I got to do is make a call. And help comes. And then you appreciate it. Okay, the Christmas story is just like that kind of gift. It's like a gift that it's so easy not to appreciate. And the year can come and the year can go. And your whole Christmas season will get wrapped up with all the stuff we got to do. And you don't even appreciate how amazing it is. 
you just kind of go about your business and you make your meals and you buy your presents and you do all your decorating and you work until you don't have to work anymore and then somehow the time you're off work still gets filled up with family meals and get-togethers and movie nights and Christmas parties and shopping and all this stuff and you go back to work in January and you're more exhausted than when, it started, when you got off, you know? And it's like you don't appreciate what Christmas really is. Well, that's this story today. And I want to read for you just a small part of the Christmas story. It's in Matthew chapter 1. If you want to flip there, you can follow along with me. It'll be on the screen too. Matthew chapter 1. I'm not going to read you the whole Christmas story, but I'm going to read you this part of the Christmas story. Kind of highlights some of this for us today. It's the part of the Christmas story where Mary, Jesus' mother, has just found out that she's pregnant. Now, she's never been with a man. She's never slept with a man, but she's pregnant. An angel has come and told her, told her not to be afraid, not to worry about it, that it's actually God's son inside of her. And she's about to tell her fiancé that she's pregnant and the baby's not his, but that she's never been with any other man. Now, I don't know how you think that would go for you, but if anybody tells you that now, don't believe it, all right? So... But she's going to, uh, so that's the story. We're going to pick the story up right there where she's about to tell him what's going on. And we're going to take a look at his reaction. It's in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. This is kind of how it unfolds. You ready? This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, right in between verse 18 and 19, she tells him. That's not recorded in Matthew's account, but you're going to know she told him because it's about to transition to his reaction, okay? So she tells him somewhere in, in between these two verses what's going on, and I want you to see what happens in his life at that point. Verse 19, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, a good man, and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Okay, he decides to break up with her, right? And, and to not do it on Facebook, but to do it like in a quiet, respectful way because he doesn't want to bring shame to her, right? So he breaks up with her. He's going to break up with her. That's his plan. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That's just what she told me. Now he gets it from an angel in a dream. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. Skip down to verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Now, it's easy to read through this story and like just gloss over some of like the shocking, shock and awe kind of parts that you've just heard it so many times, or maybe you've been to Christmas services at church before, read this story out loud with your families, and you've heard this so many times, you just kind of like, you don't appreciate what's there. So what I'd like to do today is I'd like to just pull out for you, as I was studying this week, three principles that stuck out to me from this passage. Now, they're not the only three principles in the Christmas story. There's lots of truth that can help our life in the whole Christmas story. But I want to give you three principles that just stood out to me this week from this story. And I believe that everybody in the room is going to agree with me on all three of them. 
And I might be wrong. If you disagree with me on one of them, I'd love to hear about it afterwards. But I think whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, whether you love Jesus or you don't love Jesus, whether this is your first time in church or your 1,000th time in church, I think we'll all probably agree on all three of these principles. I'm going to give them all three to you. The point isn't that we would all agree on them because I think we're already there. The point is this. If you really agree about these, if you really believe that they're true, then the belief has to change your behavior. Because real belief always drives real behavior. You always act consistently with the way you believe deep down inside. No matter what people say, they will act consistently with, the, what, with what they believe inside. So I want to give you these three principles first. Then I want to tell you kind of what the Bible is saying they should make us do. And you can decide whether you're going to take the principles from God's Word, walk out of here and do what it says, or just hear it and let it go through the other side and out the other ear. Okay, That'll be on you this Christmas. But let me give you the three principles first. Here's the first one. I'll back up and show them to you in the Bible as we go. We just read them, but let me show them to you. Here's the first one. You ready? You see if you agree with these. I don't have all the answers. You don't have all the answers. Like, you don't know everything. Do, do we got agreement on that? Or is there anybody in the room that's like, huh? I know everything. Is anybody, I mean, are we in agreement on principle number one? There's nobody that knows every answer. There's nobody that knows it all. Principle number one. So what seemed in this story like the right plan to Joseph turned out to be the wrong thing to do. Do you remember what his plan was? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put her away, divorce her. I'm going to break the engagement. I'm not going to do it in, in a public way. I'm not going to bring shame to her. I'm going to do it quietly so not to disgrace her. Sounds like a good plan. And, and on top of sounding like a good plan, it even says Joseph was a righteous man. Like he's a good guy. It's not like he's an evil guy trying to make her feel guilty for what she's done. He came up with a solid plan. I think the plan that most of us would have come up with, if you're being real honest about it. Your, your girlfriend comes to you, you're engaged, you're supposed to get married in a few months, and she's like, hey, buddy, I just want you to know, I love you and all, I still want to get married, but I'm pregnant. My baby's not yours, but don't worry, God gave it to me. Don't, don't you think most of us would be like, mm, breaking this thing off? We're going to have to take a pause, a time out for a little while, till we really, I'm going to wait till the birth, maybe we'll do a DNA test. You know, if that comes back like unrecognizable DNA, maybe I'll, re maybe I'll be like, yeah, God did it. If it comes back like, yo, know, Joe's DNA down the road, then we're not getting married. You know what I mean? Like, I'm probably doing something similar. And, and I might not even be as righteous as Joseph, so I might not even do it like, you know, quietly. Like, it might end up on Facebook to me. You know what she did? I might tell some people in my life what she did, you know. But not Joseph. He comes up with a solid plan like a man who's good and righteous would come up with, Right? But it turns out to be the wrong plan, isn't it? Like an angel had to show up and be like, that's the wrong plan. Right? I mean, he's a good guy, but he, he doesn't know everything, does he? And what we don't know is exactly how much we don't know. So can we all agree on that principle? That we don't know everything. We don't have all the answers. You might think you're making the exact right decision but be making the exact wrong decision. All right, is that fair? Okay, principle number two, you ready? The right thing 
is rarely the easy thing. You agree on that? Can we agree on that? The right thing is rarely the easy thing. Now, did you see at the end of the passage I read in verse 24, you can kind of just flip back and forth between these if you want, Kenny, so people can write those down too, but do you see at the end of the passage in verse 24 what it said? Joseph wakes up from his dream and obeyed what the angel had told him, had commanded him to do. Not me. I mean, I wake up from that dream, I got all kinds of questions. Was that real? Was that really an angel or did I like eat some bad meatloaf last night? You know what I mean? Like, it's not like the angel showed up and he's standing there and he's like, I'm an angel from the Lord. No, he's asleep. He's dreaming. And an angel comes to him in the dream. He ever woke up from a dream and thought like, would that really happen? Or it's like, you're not going to just wake up and be like, well, I jumped off that cliff and I could fly. So I'm going to give it a shot. No, you're like, I was dreaming. I better make sure this is a real thing. I got all kinds of questions. Did he really say, did I forget part of the dream? Because you know, you wake up from a dream. A lot of times you can't remember all the details. I'm thinking, like, did I hear him right? And even if it was the real deal, do you know what this is going to cost me if I do this? Do you know what this is going to do to my reputation if I stay with her? But none of that's in there. Joseph just obeys. He just does what the angel told him to do. And it would have been the harder thing. The easier thing would have been to break the engagement off. Go look for another girl It isn't saying... She got pregnant from the Lord. But instead he obeys because why? The, the right thing is rarely the easy thing. You know how hard it is to follow God's path for your life? That doesn't make it the wrong thing. In fact, that probably makes it the right thing. But so many people come to church or they make some spiritual decision in their life and their thought is like, now things will all get better. Somebody convinced you that the right thing would become the easy thing? Where was that? Like, who taught you that? Where did that come from? That's not right. That's not true, is it? The right thing is rarely the easy thing. Here's the third principle. See if you agree with me on this one too. You ready? What I want isn't always what I need. Now, that's the one we've been hammering home the last three weeks. What I want isn't always what I need. It doesn't matter how much I want a, a, a value meal from McDonald's. If, if I run out of gas or lock my keys in my car, I need the AAA card. Right? It isn't really about what I want. It's what I need. So what I want isn't always in line with what I need. And I, I wonder if Joseph was thinking when this dream conversation is going down, I wonder if he's listening to this thinking like, wait a second, I don't, this isn't really the kind of saving I want. Uh, you're you're going to name him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. Like, wh- what do I care about all these other people? Like, what about me? You know what I mean? Like, oh, okay, I'm going to father the Lord's child so that he can save everybody else from their sins. Like, I don't get it. How about, how about like some uh, financial, you know, blessing for me or, or some health for my family? How about a, 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 a little like, a blessing coming my way? How about saving me from like my oppressors? How about saving us from slavery? You know, like Rome's got us in, enslaved and is taxing us up the wazoo. Wazoo, Michael, that means like a lot, you know? So wazoo, I don't So how about saving us from slavery and our oppressors? 
He's going to save us from our sins. I'm a righteous man, didn't you hear? Like what the Bible said about me a couple of verses ago? Save me from my sins. I'm pretty good on that area already. Like I don't need a whole lot of saving there. Like I could think of a lot of other things I'd be wishing to be saved from if I'm Joseph before I'd get to my sins. I wonder if we kind of do that same thing without even realizing it. Do you know why you don't celebrate Christmas the way you should? Do you know why we don't really appreciate what Christmas is? You know why we don't have moments over the Christmas holiday where we just sit quietly and are almost like brought to tears when we realize what God has really done for us at Christmas? You know why we don't do that? Because we don't really believe or understand verse 21 of this passage. You put it on the screen just one more time, Kenny, verse 21. You're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And it's easy to just read through that quickly. That's just part of the Christmas story. I get it. Jesus came to forgive us and save us and all this stuff. We get it, right? But it's like when we read that verse, I think in our heads, we don't really believe all that it is. In fact, I think without even realizing it, we kind of change the words and change the meaning of it to mean something we want more. And this is what I think most people think when they read this verse. I think they think it says, you're to name him Jesus, for he will forgive his people for their sins. And I love that. I like that. And, and, and maybe that's you. Maybe that's how you read this verse. Maybe that sums up your religious experiences. Maybe that's been your religion up to this point in your life where you sin, you mess up, you make mistakes, you blow it over and over again, and God forgives you over and over again. I blow it, God forgives me. I blow it, God forgives me. I blow it again, God forgives me again. Isn't that cute? It's cool. That's a real good arrangement for you, isn't it? I like that. I'll keep doing whatever I want to do, and God is so gracious, he'll keep forgiving me. In fact, he even sent Jesus to do it. He sent Jesus to die for my sins, to rise from the dead, so that he could forgive me. And for most people, a lot of people, their religious experience, their Christianity, is boiled down to this idea. I blow it. God forgives me. But that isn't what the verse says. And, and, and if that's what your religion boils down to, then you've missed the whole meaning of Christmas. You've missed the whole purpose of Jesus coming, and you've missed way more of the Christmas story than you've caught. You've missed what real Christianity is. Because Jesus didn't come just to forgive you, just to be your forgiveness genie. So you could keep doing whatever you feel like doing, getting whatever you want, and then asking him to forgive you, and him just keep forgiving you. No, he came to save you from your sin, not just forgive you for your sin. It's way bigger than just forgiving you. It's way deeper than that. He didn't come just to free you from the penalty of your sin. He came to free you from the power of your sin. This is the real message of the gospel, what real Christianity is. Can I tell you a story about a guy named Ron? Ron struggled with drugs his whole life. From the time he was a teenager. 
You don't know him. I'm not going to give you his last name. You don't know him anyhow. But Ron struggled with drug addiction his whole life from the time he was like 14 years old to the time he was like 30. Over and over again, he'd relapse and fall off the wagon and get arrested. And over and over again, he kind of was able to skirt the system a little bit. His mom and dad kept bailing him out over and over again. Judges kept taking it easy on him. And finally, around the age of 30, Ron relapsed again. He had so much drugs on him that he could have been charged as a dealer. And so he stands in front of the judge, and the judge had had enough. The judge was sick of having him come to his courtroom over and over again, and his parents had had enough. They were sick of begging for help and bailing him out over and over again. And so the judge decided he was going to do something different. He didn't sentence him to a long prison sentence, which he could have. Instead, he decided to send him to a long-term rehab facility. It was only a week from Christmas, just like today. And uh, Ron was mixed in the courtroom. And if you went and visited him right after, he was mixed inside emotionally. He was full of like a lot of self-pity. He was uh, full of some anger, um, full of some sadness, some regret. And he kept bouncing back and forth between, you know, won't you guys please forgive me? And why don't somebody get me out of here? He went from like uh, um, sadness and, and pleading to like, you know, threatening what life's going to be like for my folks if they don't get me out of here. But they stood their ground. This time they wouldn't bail him out. They told him to his face that they forgave him for his actions and all the stress they had brought on the family, but that they weren't going to ask for him to be released until he was better. He said, you won't forgive me? And they said, no, we forgive you. But we want more for you than forgiveness. We want freedom. And so they left him in there. And it was hard. It wasn't what he wanted, but it was what he needed. He was able to get clean. He got out, was able to turn his life around, not struggling with drug addiction today. But he didn't get anything he wanted. Just got what he needed. Forgiveness, you can have as much of it as you want. God's offering it to you in endless supply. But if that's all you get, you've missed it. Freedom's way more than just forgiveness. And so God is offering us freedom at Christmas. Think about it for a second. God already had a plan in place to deal with sin and forgiveness. Animal sacrifice. Throughout the whole Old Testament, God's people would bring an animal sacrifice and he would forgive their sins. Now, it wasn't, uh, uh, it wasn't the lasting um, effort that Jesus' death and resurrection would be, but it was being dealt with. They were being forgiven before Jesus came. But what wasn't happening was freedom. God could look down and see that sin's power still had a hold of all of his people. And so Jesus comes to earth not just to buy our forgiveness, but to buy our freedom. To give us what we need, even if it's not what we always want. There's this story in John chapter 8 where some religious leaders drag this woman in front of Jesus. And the woman has been caught in adultery. And so they bring her in front of Jesus and, and they want to they kill her. 
because their law says that they were allowed to execute her for having an affair, having an adultery with a married man. And so they were going to kill her, and the method of execution was stoning. So they would pick up a bunch of stones and wail her with them until she died. That's what stoning is. And so they're going to do this, but they decided they could use this as a way to trick Jesus and kind of catch him in the act of saying or doing the wrong thing. So they drag this woman in front of Jesus, and they tell Jesus what she did. And Jesus is there kind of just bent down, scratching some stuff in the dirt with his fingers. And they tell Jesus what this woman did, and they say to him, what should we do with her? And they knew Jesus was super compassionate and would forgive her. And they thought, if we can get him to say, uh, let's forgive her and ignore it, then they'd catch him disobeying what the law says to do, which is to execute her. So they say to Jesus, what should we do with this woman that we've caught in adultery? And he doesn't answer them at first. And they keep asking him, and finally he stands up, he looks at all of them, and he says, let the person who's here that is sinless throw the first stone at her. Oh, he had them, because not one of them was willing to admit publicly that they thought they were perfect. I'm sinless, let me through, I can't do that. So it says they all walked away. And Jesus bends back down and he starts kind of scratching in the dirt again with his finger. And all that's left there is Jesus and this woman. He doesn't even know, he's not even looking at everybody, everybody else walks away. And he finally stands back up again and notices that she's the only other one there. And in verse 10 of John chapter 8, this is how that conversation goes down, listen to it. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said to her, neither do I. And that is forgiveness. But that isn't the end of the verse. Then he says, go and sin no more. How could she do that? Is that even possible? What he's talking about is freedom from sin. Not just forgiveness from sin. It's a whole nother level of your relationship with God. It's not about being forgiven. He'll give you all the forgiveness, but he wants you to have freedom. Can I even do that? Can I even go and sin no more? Just a couple chapters later in John chapter 10, Jesus would say these words. The thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. But my purpose is to give you life, rich and satisfying life. Is it even possible to have a life like that? Or am I always going to be blowing it and asking for forgiveness, blowing it and asking for forgiveness? Is that all there is? Paul would say it this way. In Romans chapter 6, he writes it down this way. Listen to this. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. He's talking to Christians. Instead, Give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Do you hear it? Do you hear what's being said? Do you hear that it's more than just forgiveness? I love that word instead in verse 13 and then repeated in verse 14. You know what it means? It means you got a choice. Sin doesn't have to control you anymore. Sin doesn't have to be your boss and just tell you what to do. Just because you feel like doing it, you don't have to say yes. 
If you're in Christ, you have the ability, the power, the freedom to say no. You don't have to be controlled by it any longer. Instead, choose to use everything you are for what God says your life should be, for what God says your life is. Choose to use your freedom. It is for freedom's sake that Christ has set you free. So don't use your freedom to fulfill all the desires of your flesh. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Use all the freedom God's giving you to live the life he's planned for you so other people will be able to find out that God is offering them the exact same gift. And it's way better than just I screw up and God lets it slide. I screw up and God says no biggie. I screw up again and God says keep doing what you feel like doing. No, it's like God's like I'm breaking all that in your life and you're now free to live out the full satisfying life I plan for you. The Greek word zoe means a life that is overflowing with greatness and success and fullness. That's the word there. The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I've come to give you a rich and satisfying life. Romans 6.23 says the wages or the punishment for sin is death, and all sin brings with it death. Maybe you've experienced some death, the death of divorce, the death of being broke, the death of being sick, the death, all the death we experience in our life where relationships end and struggles come, all because sin's in our world. But the verse doesn't end there. The second part of that verse says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's not just talking about heaven the word life there is the exact same word for life in John 10.10, zoe. Overflowing, abundant, full, rich, and satisfying existence. It doesn't start after I die or after Jesus comes back. It starts when I believe these principles and they start to change the way I live. He gives me life, freedom, makes me brand new. Paul says it like this again in Romans chapter 3, one of the most famous passages in all of Romans Paul wrote. Look, verse 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now look at verse 24. It rarely gets read. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from our sins, not when he forgave you for them, when he freed you from them. See, salvation is the best gift ever. And it's already been bought and wrapped up for you by Jesus. That's why he came. You got to get out of this routine of like, I do whatever I feel like, and God's so gracious, He just loves me anyhow. That's part of it, but you're missing out on life by being a slave to your desires. It's why I give my money to the Lord, it's why I serve Him with my time, it's why I have to check my attitudes every day, not because it's easy, but because it's right. Not because I know all the answers, but because I know I don't. 
Not because it's what I want, but because I know it's what I need. Now, everybody would sit here and say, like, yeah, I agree. I don't know everything. I agree. I don't always want the things I need, and what I want isn't always what I need. And I agree that, you know, the right thing is often the hard thing. But has it changed your behavior? Because if it hasn't, then you've fooled yourself, and you don't really believe those things. Because belief always drives our behavior. So my question for you today is, will you receive or reject the gift God's offering you? Merry Christmas? I wonder if we even know what that means. If we're just wrapped up in gifts and meals. Merry Christmas? It's like just something we say to people in passing, like, how you doing? No, it's when the God of the universe decided to come down to earth to break all the power sin has over my life. It should make me cry almost every year to think about the fact that that's what he did for me. I should appreciate it. I got to get to this place where I stop acting like it's some gift I don't really want or need, some gift that I wasn't expecting, like it's a lesser gift. And I got to get to this spot where I look at my life and I realize, no, I actually need that. I'm glad he gave it to me. Back in the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, this is what it says when the angel's talking to the shepherds. He says, the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Savior. Yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. I want to read it for you one more time from Matthew chapter 1. Verse 21, because this is what it really says. And she'll have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sins. All the presents under your tree look the same. All of them are wrapped up real pretty. And what's inside might not be what you want, but I'm telling you today that inside of the Christmas present that Jesus is offering you is everything you need to break the power of your sin in your life. It's more than forgiveness. It's freedom. And it's being wrapped up and handed to you this morning. And the only choice you've got to make is will I receive it or reject it? And I don't care what prayer you prayed before. It's garbage to think I just said some magic words or I let somebody baptize me or, or I signed some card at a church or I grew up with my parents in a church. And so now I'm magically a Christian where Jesus will forgive everything I do. Forget about that. Don't you want freedom? Don't you want life to the fullest? Don't you want to know what it feels like to overflow with peace and live out the destiny God's designed you to live? Don't you want more? It's exactly what you need. So the only option you have today is to receive it or reject it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to all stand up. I'm going to pray over you. Pray that God will give you courage. We're going to close by singing uh, Silent Night. Is that right? Silent Night. And, uh, and, and while we're singing, I'm going to be at the back of the room. If you want to receive God's gift of Jesus, if you're like, hey, I realize today I've always accepted God's forgiveness, but I've never accepted his freedom, I'm going to be at the back of the room. You can come talk to me about it if you want. You don't have to. You can just tell God you want it. But if you want to talk through it, if you want somebody to pray with you, I'll be there. Come talk to me. I'm there for you. You don't have to walk up front and be embarrassed. I'll be at the back of the room.
This is between you and the God of the universe who gave up everything to buy your freedom. Can I pray for you, dear Heavenly Father? Will you bless this room right now with one thing? Just the courage to act on the truth of your word. The courage to walk past all the people who they think might be looking at them. The courage to speak words that they feel like maybe they spoke before but don't really know if they meant them. The courage to make a decision that people might criticize them for or make a commitment or, or a choice to live in freedom. When everybody else might say, didn't you do that when you were seven? Didn't we already baptize you? Didn't you already pray a prayer? The courage to say like, you know what? I don't know if it was the real deal. I don't know, but I want to know, God. I want to know that I've got your freedom. I want to believe the things you say and see it change the way I behave. Would you give that courage to our room right now, God? Because it takes courage to walk away from everything and follow your son. In Jesus' name, we beg you for that courage today.